0: And welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host for today, we are upping the prestige game here on Feeling Seen. My co-host for today is the multi-Oscar-nominated filmmaker Hani Abu Assad, And his new film is called Huda Salon. But you might know him from previous uh, very lauded entries like Paradise Now or Omar. And today he has brought us a quintessentially American classic film character for us to discuss. It is Jack Nicholson's turn as Randall McMurphy, the main character in the 1975 film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One of, I believe, three movies of all time to sweep the big five awards at the Oscars. Uh, If you haven't seen the film, McMurphy is a convict who arrives at a mental hospital for evaluation and decides to dial up uh, the possible mental instability that the physicians are there to assess because he thinks that staying in the psych ward will be easier than going back to jail. Uh, He soon finds himself constantly at odds with the nurse of the ward You Know Her, You Fear Her, Nurse Ratched, played by Louise Fletcher. It is a commentary on conformity versus individualism in the 1970s. It is one of I probably the most iconic American film performances of all time, one of the most noteworthy roles in the career of Jack Nicholson, a career filled with noteworthy roles, and gave us one of our great screen villains in Nurse Ratched. Um, Then after our conversation about all that, I'm going to have one quick thing to say about, it's a follow-up topic, we're going back into deep water, because we got a trailer this week, you guys, so I've got to do a bass touch. But without any further ado on that front, let's hear my conversation with Hani Abu-Assad, who spoke to me from his home in Nazareth. I am here with a A globally significant filmmaker. (laughs) I am here with a multiple-time Oscar nominee, a documentarian, a narrative feature filmmaker. Uh, You may know his previous works, such as Paradise Now, or Omar, or Idol, or The Mountain Between Us, and um, like a dozen other titles to choose from. And of course, with the new film debuting, Huda Salon, Hani Abu Asad, Welcome to the show. And is there any other thing you would like we would like to establish for the introduction here?
1: No, thank you, Jordan. I'm very glad that you are uh, uh, that we will have this conversation, and always pleasure to hear you uh, through your podcast.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you have brought uh McMurphy, Jack Nicholson's McMurphy from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. A- Titanic performance in the archives of film history. Yes
1: um, I was 14 when the film came out uh, and I uh, saw it in the local cinema here in Nazareth mm-hmm. and I um, I went out and I still remember that feeling of being free uh, from my oppression. Mm. So I think um, you know, as a Palestinian, you grow up uh, in under uh, occupation. You know, you've been like I, I was very young when I realized uh, the system is treating us differently than, uh, let's say, the the Israelis. So when I was once at the checkpoint. And they took us aside, and the others went through, the Israelis, and I asked my father what's going on, and he said, well, we are Palestinians. So I realized that Palestinians um, are oppressed. Also, like, I was young one day when the police came in searching for weapons, and I was was sleeping, and suddenly they uh, wake me up, the police, uh, in order to see if there is weapons under my uh, mattress. So all these things makes you feel like I need to do something in my life. I need Mm -hmm. to fight injustice. And I believe like some people have this urge, even when they are young, to fight injustice. Mm -hmm. So when I was 14 and I saw the movie and I was uh, busy with the question, what to do with your life? And I want to become a freedom fighter. So when I saw the movie, I went out and uh, realized that actually you don't need to to fight violently injustice mm-hmm. so mcmurphy gave me the example of being creative in fighting systems oppressive systems mm-hmm. or society doesn't matter so as a young man i re, I, I became like as a, as if i saw god you know like <laughs> How can I free myself from oppression without being violent? So just by being creative. And, and I really wanted, from that moment, wanted to become a filmmaker. Although mm. I studied airplane engineering and I work as an engineer, but that movie made me realize I want to do for others the same what this movie did to me, which is like, uh, open my mind to how to discover yourself without uh, taking the wrong way, let's say. Mm -hmm. So it's very influential movie, especially in my choice of becoming a filmmaker.
0: You know, watching uh, watching Huda Salon and multiple, you know, refreshing on a couple of your movies coming into this conversation, and then watching One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest again, being informed by the fact that I was going to be speaking with you, it was interesting to see how McMurphy feels not unlike a character that you might, that might be at the center of one of your own movies, where it is a character who's whose actions by one token could seem abhorrent by some, and who has been sort of criminalized by a system. And this is a character who he is he's in jail for having sex with a child. He has had sex with a 15 year old girl and he's pretty unrepentant about it. As he as he says, mm. she was 15 going on 35. But you I a thing that I really a quote of yours that I really liked was talking about how it's not necessarily that you human your you aim to humanize the monstrous but it emphasizes how bad or how challenging the decisions are that people make when you present them as human because you can see the violence that they do in the contrast to them being so good and so warm to other people and I think that's an interesting territory to work in and I saw a lot of McMurphy as I was watching your characters in your films that kind of rooting for this character that could be abhorrent to some, but is so tender and so enlivening to so many others.
1: Yes. Uh, I Nowadays, I can say easily that humans uh, can become their own contradiction when they are put in a situation that they will force them to become good or become evil. And I believe they can't exist, this contradiction, without one another. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't have... Uh, evil you won't have good good has no mm-hmm. meaning if there is no evil mm-hmm. if if there is if there is no evil like what does it mean good mm-hmm. they exist because of the existence of its own opposite but when but the, these two opposites they must touch have a touch point and that touch point is the most interesting uh situation in our uh, uh, experience as humans, because that touch point, easily you can flip to the right or to the left, and any wrong move can make you make the, the wrong or the right decision. So I realized, because I want to explore this uh, theme of contradiction, the connection of contradiction, I Will allow myself as a filmmaker, but also the audience. I will allow them to put themselves themselves in this uh, gray zone, where any second uh, something wrong will happen, in order to think about this complex issue in a very simple way. Mm-hmm. I believe movies like this in the past gave me the opportunity to think about it, about this situation without being in the situation. So in the future, if any kind of crisis happened to me, I could protect myself from that hmm. a crisis and I could take the right decision because it's all about right. Like, how can you make the right decision? while you was never in this situation. Mm -hmm. And I believe literature, art and movies can help you do that by exploring the touch point between contradiction in any situation.
0: I'm really glad that you brought up that that notion of like decision making, like that sort of moment of choice. And I read a quote from you that I this was like one of my favorite descriptions of like, what is drama? What is conflict I've ever seen? And you said, what is good drama? It is when somebody has to act when he's trapped and whatever he will do, he is fucked. And I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Honestly, that is exactly right. And when I was watching Cuckoo's Nest, I was like, that's exactly what, like, no matter what this man chooses, he's fucked. If he, like, when he has that moment where he sort of, where he realizes, the orderly tells him, you still don't know where you are, do you? 68 days. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about 68 days? That's in jail, sucker. You still don't know where you're at Yeah, where am I at, Washington? With us, baby, you with us. And you're going to stay with us until we let you go. And he confronts the group and he's like, none of you told me, knowing that I couldn't get myself out of here, what was going to happen if I push back against this lady? Like, if I push back against Nurse Ratchet, It is incredible to watch this moment where he wouldn't, he seems to have regretted being such a sprite, being such a sort of like Loki trickster when he realizes there's going to be a consequence for it. Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out? I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? hmm Well, you're not. <laughs> you're not. You're no crazier
1: than the average asshole out walking around on the streets, and that's it.
0: Those are very challenging observations you made, Randall. But the rest of the movie is him continuing to still... Double down on that because he's kind of fucked if he does or if he doesn't.
1: Yes, I, yeah, uh, I, I forgot that I said that, but it's true. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think it's yeah. great. I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, but also again, I uh,
1: great characters. They are not good and that not bad. Yeah. Take example all the movies of uh, Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Robert De Niro and Heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not really good and he's not really, he's not really a thief, but also he's not a good man. Mm-hmm. But when situations force him to make a choice, because sometimes systems don't like you being like, not this and not that. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. They want to define you in, in some kind of corner. Mm-hmm. And the moment they, you have to make a choice, you die. Mm-hmm. And exactly, this is what happened to McMurphy. McMurphy mm-hmm. is not a bad man. It's not a good man, also. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the moment the system forces him to make a choice, which mm-hmm. is to escape, he dies. You know, mm-hmm. it's like because he's not—he's—he's he's not also like the this this like revolutionary guy who wants to change the system. He doesn't make a fuck about anything. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah. And, and 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 but everybody's pushing you to take a side. Like, are mm-hmm. you this uh, conformist or are you the rebe- rebellious? And mm-hmm. he's neither. He's just McMurphy. Yeah. And this is how, what defined him. He's McMurphy. And the moment he make a choice, he lose who he is, and he mm-hmm. dies. And this is why, yeah, I, uh, almost all all my characters, they die at the end of the movie because they have to make a choice. Right. And and the choice is, like, whatever you do, you are fucked.
0: I mean, that feels like uh, Huda Salon is a film about a woman who goes into um, a hair appointment. She gets drugged, rendered unconscious. She has blackmail nude photos taken of her and is told by a, sec- a woman working for the Secret Service of the Occupational Force, uh, you need to help me and in feed information or I'm going to ruin your life and show your husband this photo. And so it's essentially... It feels like it is a it is a movie about one woman on the brink of the scariest choice she could ever possibly make, put in that position by a woman who had to face that exact same moment of truth choice, who is now being interrogated and forced to turn over the names of her informants. It's everybody on the razor's edge of bad choices, of bad options.
1: Yes, yes. And, and this kind of situation will help you as a viewer to make, it's as if you are intellectually making exercise. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's, it's a gym. You know, when you watch a movie, you are safe, but your thoughts are not safe anymore. So you are in a safe place, exercising, unsafe situation. It's exactly like in the gym. You are not running from a predator. You are, you know, you are running for exercise. Mm-hmm. But if a predator is is gonna attack you, you will you will be in good shape. So yes, we need these kind of exercises. And uh, I feel sad also about uh, about it because, in some sense, you know that it happens to people. You know, it mm-hmm. did not happen to me. Mm-hmm. But it happens to be a lot of people, you know, a lot of women being exposed mm-hmm. uh, to this kind of situation and they have to make a difficult choice. Mm-hmm. And it's a very painful uh, experience. So, yes, these movies are uh, intellectual exercise for the privilege like you and me. Mm-hmm. But mean, meanwhile, they are like a real life of some women on earth um, mm-hmm. that they have to make this difficult choice every day. This will also help the woman who will, that we are making movies about them. Hopefully, it will make them stronger and know how to fight these kind of situations. But also, you and me will have more uh, sympathy for uh, vulnerable human beings. And I believe society is crucially built on sympathy uh, toward one another. Without sympathy, I think society won't exist, and we will become a jungle. Empathy and sympathy, empathy, especially empathy, is crucial to our also survival.
0: I was getting so mad watching uh, Huda Salan in those interrogation scenes because you have this Palestinian resistance fighter fighting against the occupying force and obviously so keenly aware of the horror created by the occupying force that has put all of them in this position To suspect and be paranoid of their neighbors, and it is fighting for this force of good to on behalf of the Palestinian people. And he's he's so aware of that of the threat of the threat of this oppositional force. And yet, as he speaks to this woman, it becomes so clear he seems to have almost no idea of the compounding repression within his own community of the misogyny that tightens the chains around these women even further like when he's when he's telling her you could have left and she's like could I it was just like my blood was boiling I wanted to run through the screen and just (laughs) scream at him like could she it was just it was making me so angry and I was very glad you made a movie about it even as it was upsetting me so much
1: yeah um, indeed like I believe um, humans are able under the let's say under the slogan of freedom and and democracy or even, you know, communism they are able to commit horrible crimes with a good intention, yes? Mm -hmm. So uh, their intention is to free their country but uh, but they end up uh, oppressing their people. You know, this kind of um, situation is important for us to know in order for you as humans to try next time to make a better choice. When you realize that you are the evil and not, you know, the other. In, in most of movies, they want to tell you that the audience are good. They are on the side of the hero. Mm-hmm. And they came out of the movie as clean as they are, they think they are clean, they will always make the right choice. But a good movie won't do that. Mm -hmm. A good movie will let every audience feel as dirty as the situation. Mm -hmm. So, and the situation is very complex. So for some people, he's a freedom fighter, yes, Hassan? But Mm -hmm. as a freedom fighter, he can become the oppressor. And if he's not aware of that, he will become the oppressor and he will become even worse than the oppressor because he thinks that he is the good man. And how many people, because they think they are good, their crimes were horrible. More like, even like, you know what? Condela Rice was at Fox News two, three days ago. You know, the secretary. Oh yes, Condoleezza. And she was condemning the invasion of sovereign country, like Ukraine.
0: Like, we really and can't. Like, we, we have no, we have no, we you can't You invade it.
1: Afghanistan and you have invade, like, but that woman believed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she believed that she is the good side and then she is, whatever she do, even if it's a crime, she believes she is always on the right side and she mm-hmm. ended up killing like two million Iraqis and mm-hmm. how many million uh, Afghanis? It's mm-hmm. like it's like unbelievable, unbelievable, and this is why these kind of movies make you aware mm-hmm. of the complexity that that you are not clean, uh, like you are not cleaner than Condoleezza Rice. If you become self-righteous, uh, you can also lose yourself in this and become also a criminal like any other else. And this is why I believe I became a better man by watching and, and reading literature that uh, give you this opportunity of complex issues being presented presented in a way that you, you, you will think about it and try to make in your own life better decision. Mm-hmm. Is it clear? Sometimes I'm not.
0: Yes. No. I believe it. No. I. I. I am. You are coming in clear. I understand. I'm following you, and I. What I wanted to follow up with that was was what compelled you toward a story that elucidated this strain of misogyny that exists that you wanted to, that is put so front and center as a sub thread of the you know your work often like you know Paradise Now and and Omar and even an even an idol the sort of relegation of the Palestinian people, a subjugated people, and you have these people faced with these sort of impossible choices between the bad and the bad, the less bad and the, the more bad. What compelled you to work with this theme to to tell a story that's so specifically focused on, on the misogynistic aspect of sort of life under this occupation as well?
1: So again, I will... Go back to that moment when I decided to fight injustice and realized mm-hmm. fighting injustice, not necessarily need, you need to, to do it violently. You can be creative also by mm-hmm. fighting injustice. So by, by the first steps, I, you know, I criticized more the occupier. Mm-hmm. But then later, by Huda Salon realizes that occupation is condemned Mm-hmm. You don't need to make a movie in order to condemn occupation. Actually, you need to do a movie in order to criticize part of yourself that make wrong decision and make it easy for the occupier to occupy you. As long as um, uh, there is injustice inside your society, it's easy to occupy your you, you as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it's true, You when you when you can't fight injustice inside your own society, it's going to be very easy for the Israelis to occupy you. Mm -hmm. So I became also like, I made a progress. So instead of in Paradise Now, and Omar, I'm trying to fight injustice, the external, uh, Mm -hmm. let's say, factor. And now Mm -hmm. I'm trying to fight injustice, the internal factor, the Mm -hmm. own responsibility, how I am responsible in making my society better? How can I protect myself from my own sickness? Because misogyny mm. is a sickness, yes? We have mm. to fight it, like treating women differently than men is uh, injustice. So mm. how you wanna fight this? And what is your responsibility as also a man? And I believe by the, making this movie, I'm taking responsibility in also being a, a soldier in the fight of injustice against woman in my society.
0: We are going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with more One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Penny Abu-Assad.
1: Most game shows quiz contestants about topics they don't even care about.
0: But for 100 episodes, the Go Fact Yourself podcast has asked celebrity guests trivia about topics they choose for themselves.
1: And introduced them to some of their personal heroes along the way.
0: Oh my gosh. Shut up. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to cry. Oh my, stop. <laughs> it's always so exciting to meet you. Join me, Jake Keith Van Stratton, and me, Helen Hong, along with special guests DJ Jazzy Jeff and Faith Saley, plus some amazing surprise experts on the 100th episode of Go Fact Yourself.
1: And join us twice a month, every month, for new episodes of Go Fact Yourself here on Maximum Fun.
0: hi maximum fun it's me james arthur m from minority corner okay i got some good news and i got some bad news bad news minority corner after seven years and 340 episodes we are wrapping up our show i know i know but hey good news good news is that means we must have solved racism and homophobia and sexism and equality and equity for all yay no no we didn't well i'd like to think at least that we are better off than when we started seven years ago so don't don't worry, we might be saying goodbye, but our episodes will live on in the podcast airwaves forever. Or until the internet crashes and burn, whatever comes first. Minority Corner, the final episodes right here on Maximum Bun or wherever you get your podcast. Minority Corner, because together we're the majority. Welcome back to Feeling Scene. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and today's co-host is the director of the new film, Huda Salon, the multi-time Academy Award nominee, Hani Abu Assad. Let's get right back to it. Re-watching Cuckoo's Nest, again through the lens of like knowing I was gonna have this conversation with you, Nurse Ratchet is one of our great cinematic like the 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 she's a shorthand for a certain kind of evil because that performance and that character just transcended off the screen and i find myself like watching huda salon last night and and watching uh cuckoo's nest last night as well i was it was hard for me to see nurse ratchet as this great spectre of evil that we understand her to be as cinematic lore and i wondered was some as somebody who Mc, mcmurphy radiating off the screen and just sort of taking hold of you the way it did what do you think of nurse ratchet what is your read on nurse ratchet this woman having to manage this ward of men in the mid 1960s and sort of, as I, I didn't see her as having a ton more choice beyond the role that she played to lead the ward the way that she did. But I don't know. Maybe I'm an asshole. What do you think?
1: No, no. Yeah, you yeah. You, I mean, you're right in the sense that uh, it's actually the evil in the sense that the self ra- ra- righteousness. Because, like, even McMurphy would doubt himself, and there is moments that he doubt himself, and moments that he realize he's. Um, Varnable and he has his tragic flaw, and because mm-hmm. she does not does not recognize her tragic flaw, mm-hmm. and she really believes that she she really wants to help these people, mm-hmm. but from her point of view and self righteousness, uh, she becomes evil. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the the choice she could make is by just put yourself on the wrong side. Let's say. You, she did not forgive, you know. Mm -hmm. She is like when, when one of her patients made the mistake, she is really punishing him by, you Mm -hmm. know, telling, like, what, what should my, your mother do? And this is, yeah, this is why she's evil because she, she's not able to forgive. And, um, and not able to put herself in the shoes of others because she's so self-righteous.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I will completely, completely agree that Nurse Ratched is wildly self-righteous. And yes. there's that, do you think, I'm wondering, do you think when there's that moment, because they're all, the, the, that board of physicians is like reviewing McMurphy, and they're all like, he's dangerous, but he's not out of his mind. Like, he doesn't seem to fit the patient profile, the people that we have here, and everybody seems ready to remand him back over to the previous form of custody that he was in, except Nurse Ratchet. Well, gentlemen, in my opinion, if we send him back to Pendleton or we send him up to Disturbed, it's just one more way of passing on our problem to somebody else. You know, we don't like to do that. So I'd like to keep him on the ward. I think we can help him. Do you think in her certainty, her her conviction? She really wanted to help McMurphy or was that or was she sadistically being like, "No, I want to keep him cuz I can break him." What do you think that moment is for her? Why does she want to keep McMurphy?
1: No, because she believe yeah, because she believes he's dangerous. He's truly dangerous. She yeah. believes that she can help him or at least she believes she can protect the society from him. Because he's dangerous to the society so she keeps him in order or to help him or to keep the society away from him it's it's yeah 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 she has no doubt that there is another truth or there is another perspective of life and there is no uh and and i know a lot of people around me like this and i believe they are uh, I have to say it. It's, it's, they are the cancer of our, of our society. Mm. Because they have... Like, what is cancer? They are grown up in the same human body, yes? Cancer mm-hmm. cells are produced by the same body. But cancer cells, they are... They don't see themselves as part. They see themselves above the body mm-hmm. and the system, yes? Mm-hmm. They see themselves as the ultimate authority. Mm. and And then... And then they become very evil and very uh, cancerous. You know, if you think about our society nowadays, you know, and there is this ruling elite who is... Uh, and I know a lot of them. By mm-hmm. Through my work, I met a lot of people who make who are very powerful and, and make decisions that decide our life. Yes, you and me mm-hmm. and all these. So, and I... You try to understand how they think, and and the biggest problem is that they truly, truly, don't see themselves equal to to us, and they believe that without them we are lost, and they have to uh, guide us, and they have
0: right this like paternalistic never... controlling force. Yeah, 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 and they don't,
1: and even they don't believe they are going. B- believe me, they don't believe they are going to. Um, die like we if there is a big disaster will come. If if society will collapse, they won't collapse. So they are not part of the body. You know, they are cancer. They mm-hmm. are like, you know, cancer cells that they feel like, you know, we have, uh, we are entitled. We are, we are above, above everybody.
0: I think I was, I think I was thinking too, watching the, like, because you get to that, you get that, that like sprint to the end of Cuckoo's Nest and you have twice you have mcmurphy in front of an open window twice and he doesn't go through that window and i feel like you know a part of the films that you make is so often like what we're seeing is people characters living the effects of kind of long-term imprisonment long-term surveillance and the long-term effects of paranoia and suspicion and oppression and we have in this like condensed form in this movie you're watching all of the inmates in this institution we learn so many of them are there as voluntary commits and they're miserable and they express their dissatisfaction but they're voluntary commits and then even though mcmurphy isn't he still finds himself at the open window twice and doesn't walk out why yeah. Why? Why don't some people walk out the window? What is? What is that? What does that environment do to people that keeps them from walking out the window? You know,
1: it's uh, the sense of responsibility. I think is if you walk out the window, you you are not responsible anymore for others. Mm-hmm. Like he feels like he's responsible for for the others too. Mm-hmm. So if he leaves them there. He will lose his responsibility and I think most of people don't want to lose this responsibility mm. for others. We all want to feel responsible. Like why we make children? Because we want to feel responsible. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly believe responsibility is our major force in, in, in our existence. I, I give you an example. Mm. I can live really truly the best life I like I could escape and I could become one of the ruling elite. Mm-hmm. They gave me this opportunity, you know, to become super rich. And they told me even like some of important people told me we will make you rich and famous. Mm-hmm. But you have to one, two, three you know, you have to sell yourself.
0: Yeah. More or
1: less. Not in this. <laughs> and why and I could I could like really now flying with private jets and you know having like Because it's like, I know how to do movies, I know how to make money, you know, it's like, it's easy. It's not to be, Mm -hmm. to make entertainment movies and just entertain and and to sell the concept of of the American dream and all this Mm -hmm. bullshit. And it's easy. Yes, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, and you can become very rich and you can live uh, uh, in a, big mention at Beverly Hills and mm-hmm. and always I ask myself why I did not do I even laughed when they offered me this position. I laughed. <laughs> I said like I am not you know you can't buy me, you know <laughs> I'm not sellable. I'm not sell out, you know like and I ask myself why? I could have, you know, a great life, you know, mm-hmm. very comfortable. I'm struggling. I'm I'm a struggling filmmaker, even mm-hmm. You know, twice uh, nominated for an Oscar, still struggling. I have to work very hard for my daily life, and I can You know, my spending is is you know is is pressuring me, and all mm-hmm. these things. And I ask myself why. And I think the sense of like the moment I will I I will become this. You know, I will lead this life outside of society and having no feel of responsibility. So I will I think I prefer to die. Mm-hmm. And and somebody said, like, you know, but why you when you become rich and famous, you can help more. And I said, no. <laughs> it it's 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 an illusion. Give me one person. <laughs> and I don't wanna sell something it's not true. Mm-hmm. I want to uh, to be honest too my And I don't think if I become rich I will be more vulnerable, I think, if I become rich and famous mm-hmm. in a way that I will be like worried about my uh, money and worried about my status, and I won't dare to say the truth. Right. And and this is why uh, I, I prefer to to still live in a small condo somewhere and uh, <laughs> to uh, and still and still feel free also and also responsible. Mm. Yeah, I forget to say like also responsible. With, like, if I won't feel responsible, mm-hmm. I, I I think I'm uh, I I. I you know, I... I... I prefer not to exist.
0: I know exactly what you mean. It, it's very important to me. It's of the utmost importance to me to be accountable to people. I like to be expected by people. I like to be accountable to them. I like to I like to be responsible for the role that I play in their lives. That is something that is is one of the most meaningful aspects to me of of just getting through the world. Is in the, in those relationships you develop responsibility to people, and that to me is the most fulfilling kind of thing.
1: Yes, it's you're right, and uh, my happy happiest moment when I when I uh, help others by small things and by big things.
0: And now, and I, I suppose since we're we're coming down to the the close of it, um, I knowing that McMurphy so gripped you as a character when you were young, and, and in, in at least to some extent, uh, this film sort of inspired you toward the path of filmmaking that you've been on now for for a, a, your lifetime what is it about that character that is so that seizes us? So what is it about that? What is it about that person that I feel like your response to him and, and so many people's responses to McMurphy is not unlike the, his fellow inmates in the movie there, they become enamored of him. They become sort of enraptured by him. And he, he seems to represent so much possibility for the people around him in a, in a, repressed circumstance so what is it what is it about mcmurphy that has such a powerful allure what is he
1: i think first of all he's our alter ego <laughs> <laughs> it's like we want all to be to be this rebellious uh, and non but also like responsible he don't he didn't know if he's doing right or wrong but he mm-hmm. felt responsible to help and uh and the most importantly i think his his imagination mm. his creativity
0: mm.
1: i won't forget the scene where he is imagining the 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 baseball yeah the uh, world series game world. yes and then and then <laughs> almost like convince everybody that it's that it's there Mm-hmm. And and they are watching the television, and there is no images there, but mm-hmm. they all start to see.
0: Somebody give me a fucking wiener before I die! All right. Bob Fass looks down. He's looking at the great Mickey Mantle now. Yeah. Here comes the pitch.
1: Mantle swings. My it's God. a fucking home run! Stop this! Stop this immediately! And this infectious imagination. It's crucial in our existence. And I think, actually, this is the essence of uh, filmmaking.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: we do in filmmaking is make you believe this world we created.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We all know they are actors. Huda mm-hmm. Salon, they are actors. We are like, yeah. we everything is fake, actually. Everything. <laughs> like, but if we succeed to make you believe
0: mm-hmm.
1: You know, as me as a filmmaker, if I can make you imagine what I imagine, it's it's very f- fulfilling, and this is why McMurphy is our alter ego because we all want to to make people you know believe in our in our imagination, in our creativity, mm-hmm. and see what we are seeing. I mean, why we do art? Yes, why mm-hmm. I ask myself why I'm why am I, why I want to be an artist, and like the power of imagination is so so fulfilling and crucial. Mm -hmm. When I see the audience uh, becoming involved and I look to their faces, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling. Mm -hmm. And this is why McMurphy is like kind of the artist in us, Mm -hmm. in all of us. You know, even when you don't have, like McMurphy is an artist while he has, zero opportunities like he's not mm-hmm. a filmmaker he's not a writer mm-hmm. but still he has the power of imagination and he he let everybody see what he sees mm-hmm. was amazing amazing uh character but i tried didn't i god damn it at least i did that sorry the second thing also why he saw so, yes please it's always always fascinating when you know it's a bad person and still you like him. This is Mm why uh, art is so important, because they make us familiar with our own nightmares. Mm -hmm. Believe me, even you saw the Sopranos, Mm -hmm. when a real mafia guy will live uh, beside you, Mm -hmm. you will be very scared. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. even you saw that it's not like you like, suddenly you will uh, oh you will hug him because he's like he looks like Tony Soprano no no no, no. <laughs> but you are less scared of him because he become familiar and this is the power of movies and the power of McMurphy that uh, why we like him he is in our own existence you don't want if you have a daughter you don't want him to marry your daughter believe me <laughs> yeah. no one even me you don't yeah. want him to marry. But you love him because he let you lose your uncanny feeling about these kind of characters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is important.
0: And I I did remember one more thing I wanted to ask you that I just feel like dovetails from this so easily, which is like like talking about the importance and the impact of of culture, creation and art. And I just have to ask about one line at the beginning of Huda's salon, where it's just the two women talking and one of them says to the Mm -hmm. other, it's a disaster when everyone thinks they're an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Why why that line? Tell me about that line. I was like after reading all the interviews I've read after watching like and then it's a disaster when everyone thinks they're an artist. Please tell me about just the genesis of that line.
1: Yes. So, yes. (laughs) And this is why you can't become a doctor without like really having studied for that. Yeah. Also having the passion and having. But nowadays, because everybody thinks he can make a picture and everybody thinks he can give a status and everybody like, <laughs> everybody become an artist and it <laughs> became a chaos because it's like, it's a disaster. It's <laughs> artists, is, is really, you know what? I am now 60 and I am already 40 years in this, like really with a lot of difficulties, I dare to call myself an artist. Yeah. And 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 still before I publish anything, I will think twice about it. Mm-hmm. And I amazed by people who just have a snapshot or selfie and they are <laughs> they have no self-doubt of publishing this. Like <laughs> don't you don't you want Learn. to think about it before you publish it? Like what like how this will affect? Because like you know, when you are a true artist, you have to think about how this your your movie will affect others? Yes, uh-huh. you have to be aware that this could affect them negatively, positively. Wow. Why? You have to be prepared for that. You have to mm-hmm. understand what you are doing. But just because you think uh, you can, you know, s- film yourself, suddenly you become a filmmaker. Uh, I am I am very lost in this. I have to. Tell you. <laughs>
0: I will. You have given me an hour of your time, and I want to thank you so much for it. Is there anything else you wanted to to say then before signing off? Before I I regrettably, like relinquish my time with you, I'm very much enjoying this conversation. We've just got to the part where arts a disaster. Yes, and
1: and, and I'm really happy that you uh, you have this um, you know not short conversation and really meaningful conversation. And, and, and me too. And always make me happy. And I will remember this conversation. It's very important to me too. It's inspiring. It's also, uh, I feel I... uh... There is a meaning to my work because of you.
0: Well, I I feel I feel there's a greater meaning to my work because you came on and talked to me it, on this podcast. And I thank you so much for the work that you've done, the work that you will surely continue to do. Um, and good luck out there with Huda Salon. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I so, so appreciate your time. Thank you. I really, really do. I am grateful for it.
1: Thank you, Jordan. And good luck with everything you do.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today, everybody. Huda Salon is currently playing in select theaters, or you can access it via VOD from most streaming services. Do find that, as I will say over and over again, support independent cinema, support international cinema, support the artists doing the good work. And now, as promised, there's one quick thing before I go. We are wading back into deep water with the legendary filmmaker Adrian Lyne. You might remember Deepwater from just a few episodes ago when I was going absolutely mad for the little teaser that came out featuring uh Anade and Ben Affleck and <laughs> an off-screen hand job. And now, folks, we have a full trailer. This movie, this could be the movie event of the year. I don't know why that this mov- this movie is has been like was shelved and now is going straight to streaming. Instead of at least having a day and date with theatrical and its Hulu drop. Because as long as this movie leans into what is promised in the trailer, we are going to have the time of our lives. This is a movie about, apparently, we, we learn more now in this trailer, of course, than we had in the teaser. Uh, Anna Diarmas and Ben Affleck are married. And by all indications from the trailer, she is cheating on this man constantly. And he knows it. Like, it's out in the open. It is in front of his face. The town knows. The kids know. There's a great line in the trailer where little kids look up at Daddy Affleck and just go, Why is mom so different around other people?
1: I think this is who she is.
0: This is kind of an understanding that they seem to have we get we get her stepping out of a room with Finn wit and i think fondling him in this trailer we get her i think giving offering up uh, perhaps another hand job to jacob alorty and whatever character he plays how many hand jobs are we going to get in deep water and the answer to a question like that for a movie like this should be double digits like we should lose track of handjobs at a certain point if deep water is the movie that we need it to be like i am it is one of those things where it's like give me one a one ticket to 1996 as soon as possible it's important to remember that adrian line in addition to directing this the man directed unfaithful Diane Lane's Unfaithful, he directed 1997 Lolita, he directed Fatal Attraction, and also among this filmography, you guys, we must acknowledge, he directed Flash Dance and Jacob's Ladder. So Adrian Lyne simply cannot make anything but a classic. Which means that's exactly what we should be bracing ourselves for with Deep Water. And just to tie it to last week's one quick thing a little bit, where we discussed death on the Nile, I had a realization while watching the trailer for Deep Water, where I was like, suddenly, like Anna Armas is such a captivating screen presence, and I was it, it hearkened to my mind immediately the same arresting quality that Gal Gadot has. In this way that like the camera loves people in Hollywood, that's their job. But the camera loves some people more than it loves others, and there's this particularly sort of ravishing incandescent quality that I think both Gal Gadot and Anadi Armas possess. And I started thinking like, is are they, they feel like the dark and light halves of like the same presence, like split into like Anadi Armas is the what if. Like one version of the what if when you first saw Gal Gadot in Fast Five, you were like, I wonder what kind of career she's going to have. Like, what's she going to do? And there was one version. There was one timeline where she went on to be like a blockbuster success, like carrying four quadrant movies on her back. And then there was the other avenue where she went dark art house and was like, I'm going to make an NC-17 Marilyn Monroe biopic. We have these two. I feel like they're like the they like the matter and anti-matter antimatter of radiant actresses on screen is Anna de Armas and Gal Gadot. And somehow they keep our universe either in balance or in a perpetual state of imbalance. And the butterfly effect is everything happening in the world right now. Maybe Anna de Armas and Gal Gadot, their combined powers are now resulting in our global chaos. It could be true. They're very powerful screen presences. And the point is deep water has the potential to be that kind of powerful force. Um, I can't wait. Clearly, uh, that's coming out March 18th on Hulu. Let's, uh, as many of us as possible, watch it to let Hulu know they need to be investing in erotic thrillers. And let's make a whole cottage industry out of Ana de ruining men's lives because that's a a great burgeoning genre. Uh, I don't like the movie Knock Knock, but I love her in it. And if this can become like a whole category of her filmography, that will, in hindsight for me, justify the existence of Knock Knock. So let's set him up and knock him down. Go for the big strike. That is my one quick thing before I go. And that's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Pod. Or you can join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Feelingscenepod. You can also send us an email at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxpart, And our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun.